Hello, you're listening to Send in the Experts with Georgina Durrant. This podcast is all about teaching and supporting children and young people with special educational needs and disabilities, SEND. My name is Georgina Durrant. I'm the host of this podcast brought to you by Twinkle SEND. As a former teacher in Senko myself, I wanted to create a platform to share some of the amazing things that my guests are doing to support learners with SEND. So whether you're listening on your commute, tuning in whilst walking your dog or curled up on the sofa with a nice cup of coffee, thank you so much for joining us. In this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Alston. Sarah is a practicing Senko and as an independent SEND and safeguarding consultant and trainer, she provides support and training to schools for special educational needs and safeguarding. She is the author of The Inclusive Classroom, A New Approach to Differentiation, which came out in 2021, and Working Effectively with Your TA, which has just come out this month, which is February. Um, Hi, Sarah. It's lovely to meet you. How are you? Great. Thank you. And congratulations on your book. Oh, thank you ever so much. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about yourself then? What's your experience in teaching and with special education needs? And what do you do at the moment? I'm been teaching a very long time because I'm very old (laughs) (laughs) I'm in my 36th year of teaching which is truly terrifying inspirational not terrifying (laughs) well um and I've worked mainly in primary schools um started with the inner London education authority of blessed memory I now teach and based in Surrey and I'm an NSNCO and in that 36 years, I worked in primary schools, as I said, um, I worked in special needs units, I've done a range of teaching roles. I was an advisory teacher many years ago for history and geography that feels in a previous lifetime. Um, real range and a range of roles, you know, teachers led on virtually everything across the primary curriculum, apart from technology or music, and anybody who's met me knows why not. <laughs> And in, I think, 2015, you know, I was in a position for various reasons because I needed to look again at what I was doing. And what are the things I really feel passionate about in education? And actually, it's about inclusion. It's about safeguarding. It's about special needs. I thought, actually, I'm going to focus on doing that. Brilliant. Yeah, I, I looked at the thing of, you know, headship, I've been a deputy. I thought, no, that what I want to do is go this way. And I was incredibly lucky. And I managed to set up my own companies, see inclusion and, and safeguarding. Um, but also I managed to keep a part-time role in schools as a sanker. Brilliant. And that has been really important. It means things have changed in schools. For example, in primary all the changes in the teaching phonics and understand that. Yeah. But I also, although I'm finally, I'm done a, a, had a year where I did a day, a week in a secondary, which was an amazing experience. I'm so lucky at this point in my career to be able to do something really new. I think you can see a primary and secondary practice link and where they're different. And yeah. I think that's been really important so I mean I suppose bottom, the bottom line to what I do I'm part-time tanker independent consultant so I'm two and a half half days a week in school well two days one week three the other because half days are and then the remaining eight days a week I'm independent consultant trainer fantastic 
That's wonderful. It sounds like you're still learning, like you say, going into everything, still still learning and still, yeah. If you're not learning, you're not going to be able to teach effectively. People yeah. who say, I know it, I learned it. I think then you stop being able to travel children on that journey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because still open to new ideas and open to changes. Yeah, I think that's brilliant. And just one thing that we touched on just before, um, before our Zoom call, you're actually dyslexic yourself. Is that right? Yes, I spent have a diagnosis of dyslexia. I was diagnosed at eleven um, in the in the seventies. Nobody had ever heard of dyslexia. Oh wow! Uh, um, you know, I'd spent eleven years of my life being told I was thick, lazy, or probably both. Um, my mum had a face there was something else Brilliant. that I wasn't thick, lazy. And the teacher became a special needs teacher. On, Did she? Wow. On the back of having, um, I'm one of four children, th- three out of four are dyslexic. Wow. And she was almost certainly dyslexic herself. I had this diagnosis. And for me, it gave me a word of why I found things more difficult and that yeah. gave me the courage and the strength to go on but what why do I do what I do is one of my earliest memories in school spelling tests oh gosh and that we were asked to spell word aloud you got the word wrong you had to stand in your chair oh my goodness wrong again you stood on the desk the more I was asked to spell the less I could and I just remember it was just horrendous. And I'm, you know, I talked to people at school with who remember the just the horrendousness of the bullying and that's just public humiliation, isn't it? And I am just, you know, I don't think I hope and believe that nobody would be doing that to a child yeah. now. But I don't want, you know, I believe that we should be able about us working with children as individuals, recognizing. Then the need, which may not be saying label me, we'll talk later about labels and <laughs> the, the roles of them. But I think you know, it is for me having a word to explain my difficulty. If I can yeah. go on, I don't want any child to feel the way I felt when I was leaving primary. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's horrible. So I'd like them to have the right support. Yeah. And that's what I, so that's why. But it also means that I've learned an awful lot about how to adapt what I do yeah particularly you know I now earn a substantial portion of my living but through writing which I've only been able to do because of the advances in technology yeah being able to use things like read aloud on word yeah and you know and being able to and it's you know, it's being able to keep that abreast and think, how do we support children? How do we listen to what their needs are? And how do we support them to make the difference? Absolutely. Gosh, I can see why it's driven you having those experiences at primary school. That's, yeah. And but your mum was a special needs teacher is awesome. But has she been an inspiration as well to you? One of the, I'll, I'll start waving the book. One of the <laughs> privileges of being able to write a book was being able to, in the acknowledgements, recognise and call out the female educators who inspired and supported me and believed in me when I didn't believe in myself. Yeah. And that include 
includes my mum, but you know, she's one of a of a list of people who Matt knew. And it was a real privilege to be able to name them. Yeah, no, definitely. And I so I'm going I'm gonna actually give a special call out for two of our ongoing in practice who are Helen Borley, who's an amazing head teacher of a school in Cardiff West, Cardiff Bay. And Alison Walsh, who's the head teacher of a school in Frimley, both of whom, without community support, I would not be here. Oh wow, brilliant! Uh, those are the, those are the continuing practices. <laughs> yeah. And the rest of the list, you'll have to look at the book. <laughs> Let's talk about your book then. So this, so you've got two books now. Um, but your first book, the Inclusive Classroom, you co-author this with Daniel Sobel, and it's. Can you, it's all about inclusion, obviously. Can you explain a bit about, oh, about the book and what inclusion means to you? Yeah, so the book goes effect. I, would, I keep saying it in two halves. Halves implies the equal portion of the book. Two sections is better English. Better. <laughs> First bit is about our vision of inclusion and particularly the role or non-role of educational labels. That, you know, the idea of inclusion being about making children you know welcome valued that sense of belonging sense of being valued and being in a culture that responds to their needs not necessarily their label yeah and the second section of the book says well how do we do it and what we do is we work through five phases of the lesson because so much of, you know, it's called a new approach to differentiation. And it's a, a part of it is an attempt to reclaim the word differentiation. Differentiation, a lot of it's come to mean endless worksheets, yes. layered work. What we're saying is fundamentally differentiation is about small tweaks and adaptions. And that needs to be ongoing throughout the lesson. We yeah. don't just drop in, you know, um, differentiation in at the point when children are asked to do an activity. We need to think about the moment they come in, through the input and the instructions, through individual work, consider it looking what it looked like in group work, and really importantly, the last five minutes of the lesson, yeah. which get the Cinderella of the lesson. <laughs> of the lesson. You know, it gets forgotten. And it's fascinating. You look at you're going online or you're going to bookshops. There are lots and lots of books on lesson starters, engaging to there is silence about that last five minutes. Yeah, and it, that point. and that last five minutes, we're trying to pack huge amount in. We're trying to finish the lesson. We're trying to evaluate. We're we'll we're trying to get the children safely out of, and us safely out of the next place. <laughs> but actually, that sets up. The last five minutes of your lesson is the first five minutes of the next lesson or whatever the child's next going on. And those transitions are so key. So I suppose that's what the book's yeah. about. That's so interesting what you said about differentiation, because I remember my teacher training. It was you plan a lesson and then it was like an add on. It was told and then just make sure you've got differentiated worksheets. Make sure you've got an extra one for for some children and one for children who can manage this and can do a little bit more. And it, and that was it. And that was all we had to do for differentiation. It's not enough, is it? But it was all you had to do and totally overwhelming. If yeah. you were being asked to 
you know, diff, diff, I mean, I remember being asked, differentiate every lesson three ways and don't forget. Yeah. And uh, you know, a differentiate, I thought for a long time in school where we had uh, what would now be called a high point unit, um, communication interaction needs. At that point, a unit to take children with disability, um, physical disabilities or autism. Didn't quite go together, but no. that was what the council did. The result that in my class of 24, I had eight children with statements, you know, precursor EHCPs for autism and a child with a wheelchair user. And, you know, I had children in old money working from a level one to a level four. It was a year three class. And trying to differentiate yeah, on up team worksheets, virtually every child would have needed their own worksheet. It was insanity. So it had to be finding a way that worked that actually wasn't that. It was looking at how did we, how did we, and I say we, because it was, I was working with a large team of DAs in that classroom, clearly opposite. But well, I think, you know, given the high level of need, yeah, it was, it was necessary. But, yeah. It was it was necessary, but it was also created its own issues. Um, but you know, it was about making finding a way to make it work. Yeah, that's so interesting because you're so right about the differentiation and how how important it is to make it for the whole lesson and not just to think about you know this one sort of activity that you then and the kids know as well. I used to find as well the kids it was never a good approach for children. They they're not they know that they've been given the worksheet that's not the higher level one or whatever you want to call it. And it's, yes. it's not great for self-esteem and for children's view of themselves. It also limits the children. Mm, completely. We are saying you can only go here. Yeah. But actually, you know, and it, I, one of the things I feel that, you know, things that maths in primary is particularly, but I mean, there are issues with setting in second, but maths in primary, you know, you on this table, therefore you do this. Actually, I really struggle with number, but I absolutely shine at shape and measure. Right. Yeah, that's so true, isn't it? That you can have different but, strengths in maths in itself. Yeah. Actually, I really struggle with the concept of division. A little girl at the moment really struggles with division as a concept. She's actually pretty good at adding and subtracting. Mm. You know, her problem is about as soon as we put them, mix up language, you know, we have worded problems. Yeah. She did actually say to me yesterday, I was like, wow, you know. Um, just, but it, it, when you put words into maths, you're tricking me. You're making it an English lesson. Yeah, that's so true. What are we testing them? Are we testing their ability to mm. read? Yeah. And actually, I can do maths if you just give me calculations. Was, and she's absolutely, uh, you know, uh, but she can't, when it, when it, you add the words, it confuses her twice. Yeah. It doesn't. It stops being maths as she's concerned. The difficulty is understanding the English. Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. So not limiting kids is really important as well. Then. Yeah. When I'm back in school next week. She and I need to have a think about what we do about language and maths lessons. Yeah. Definitely. Um. So why is inclusion so important? Why did you decide to write this book? Then why is it so important to you? And why is it important in general? Why is inclusion so important? I think. I'm a, a, a liberal Jew. My religious faith, this is when you don't expect it to go. 
My religious faith has always been about social justice, yeah, equality. A, you know, going back to that list of women educators, yeah, number one of them is Rabbi Julia Neuberger, uh, who was my rabbi when I was nine, and showed me, taught me, demonstrated to me that because I was a woman, there was nothing that didn't stop me doing something. She was the first woman rabbi with a, her own congregation in the United States. Wow. I did Kingdom. So what a role model. Um, and it's about those justice for all and people being seen as people. It's that difference between equality, giving everybody the same, yes. and equity, where we're giving people what they need. And so that sort of part of it. Another step was when I got a job with the title Head of Inclusion. And again, my my mother, you know, was, I said, well, what is a head of inclusion? And I explained that I was leading on special needs and it, it, um, children, Gypsy Roman Traveller. We had a big Gypsy Roman Traveller population in school, children with English and additional language, children who had open to social care, um, you know, all these different groups. You're not a head of inclusion, you're a head of preventing exclusion. I love that. And I thought, what am I? You wouldn't have figured it on a lanyard easily, but what <laughs> a much better title. And that I think, you know, it's part of actually why I went into teaching yeah. is because I want, I believe passionately in the value and importance of every child and providing them with the right support for them to be able to meet and be the best them they can. They're not all going to be the same, but we need to give them the right support. And part of that is an opportunity to be engaged and involved in learning and for as many children as possible within a mainstream setting. I'm not against special schools. Mm -hmm. I think they have some children that is the right placement and one of the things is providing child uh, children with the best place they can learn brilliant so in terms of a classroom then what are the key things that teachers so teachers are listening if they're thinking right okay gosh I want to make myself I'm not being my classroom I don't think is being inclusive enough or they're thinking how can I improve and they've been inspired what can they do tomorrow when they go into their classroom especially things that are easy to implement and budget friendly, what can they do to make their classroom more inclusive? I think, you know, one of the reasons we talk about five phases of the lesson. Yep. Start at the beginning. It's got to be, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You're not going to change everything. Ever. You need that culture of inclusion. Yeah. Um, you know, and but that takes time to build. Yeah. yeah. I, I think you start at the beginning of the lesson started to come in through the door at meeting and greeting yes. contact with every child as they come into the room how you know just saying hello make you know making eye contact if that's how they want to make contact yes is making assessment where is this child today are they ready to learn setting up clear expectations I, I talk about consistency imbued with flexia, flexibility. Children need to know what's happening, but we also need to be flexible 
to allow for individuals. Yes. One size fit. So I think absolute key thing, if you're going to make one big, the more you can make visual, the better. Mm -hmm. How often do we list to children a list of instructions? I need you to do this, 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 and this. Well, I mean, it, it always, you know, fascinating to me, you, know, you get the speech and language report. This child needs to work on using um, one and two information word carrying instructions. And the teacher then proceeds to give them five. <laughs> why they can't do it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, you, how, you know, make it official. Write it down. You know, what we want them to do. You know, you've got your regular instructions. I need you to get out your pencil, get, get your book, write the date. You know, put it on the board. Have a little yeah. visual for each of those so the children know what they're doing. Get them to count them off on their fingers. You know, I want you to do these four things. Have you done four things? Great. Now we can do the next step. You know, how many of us, we need the list. You know, if we go to the supermarket without a shopping list, oh I know folks, I, may be, I may be talking, I may be people out there who can do it. I can't. <laughs> without a list, I come back with rubbish and I still don't have any toilet roll. So, <laughs> I'm the same, absolutely. Especially if I go to Aldi or Lidl in the middle <laughs> aisle, then, then I've come back with loads of stuff from middle aisle, like slippers, hot water bottles, the lot, but none of the actual stuff that I needed to cook. Exactly. And I think you know, we make this, it's putting in those real basics and accepting that for different children, it yeah. needs to be different. Yeah. And it's, it's starting them off on, they're not on the back foot when they start the lesson, then are they? Because if, if they forget, if they forget the instruction, they find it difficult to remember how to get themselves organised and what those things are. They're already behind, aren't they? Before the lesson's even started, they're already flustered and already not at the same level as their peers and now we see one of the other things that goes with that is think about what is the learning and what is the admin yes how often do we ask children to write the date a learning intention a title this and the other and if you're struggling with your learning yeah, how often is that, is that all they do and yeah that's so, we, so actually do we need to do that no I remember when I was at school having a design and technology teacher and for some reason every single lesson we had to draw the border on this piece of paper no matter what we had to draw a border and it was the rule and I to this day I have no idea why this border needed to be on there but it had to but I used to find it quite stressful getting my ruler straight and getting it all neat and wanting it to be perfect and there was literally no point to it Sarah I have no idea why I did it I learned nothing but there will be some children for whom they never got to the learning because they spent their time on the border. Yeah, I was one of them probably because I was so I wanted to make sure it looked beautiful and that I was doing the right thing. That that used to cause a bit of stress for me at the start of the lesson, which was completely unnecessary stress because it wasn't to do with the learning. <laughs> and you, know, it's and it goes on with things like you. Know, um, I mean, I think the classic one is always when people teaching graphs. What is the purpose of the graph le the lesson? Is it to draw a graph? Is it to put data on a graph? Or is it to interpret the data? Mm, so if, if it's to draw the graph, get the child to draw the graph. But if it's to put data on, they don't need to draw the graph. No. If it's to interpret the data, they don't need to. But some children will never, ever learn to put the data on or interpret it because they never get. No, they never get to that part. Yeah. So it was just drawing the X and Y axes and that's where they're getting up to, yeah. And, and trying to get the numbers on the lines. And that's it. And it, so it's those kind of tweaks, making sure 
and also remembering, I mean, you know, I, I'm going to talk more about TAs in a bit, I hope. Yes. But, you know, remembering that differentiation is not adult support. They're not the same things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that children need to be prompted for independence, not made to be prompt dependent. I like that. That's a good phrase. It's a good quote there, Sarah. <laughs> yeah, it's a tagline. You can tell. <laughs> Sounds very good. So in terms of the whole school, then, so we talked about a classroom, and I know your book is about the inclusive classroom, but if we're talking about a whole school and making a whole school more inclusive, so we have head teachers listening, for example, and Senko's listening, how can they make their school more inclusive in general and change the sort of ethos? I think it you can have an inclusive classroom, but you can't have... It's very difficult to have an inclusive classroom in, in, an, in a school that is not inclusive. Yes. Because you can't... You know, you d- teachers do cult- create the culture in their classroom, but it's not to be part of the culture in the school. It isn't, then you don't end up with a happy school or happy team. Yeah. And then you don't have happy children because there's a dis- disconnect between the you know, what's happening in one place and the wider place. Yeah. Somebody else comes in, they don't. It's got to be a culture. Recognition that it cannot be a one-size-fits-all. Not all the children in the school are the same and that you need to recognize the children's needs you can't just depend on a diagnosis because a the diagnoses are too broad autism it's a bit like saying bird well you know if we have bird we know birds fly not if you're a penguin or a chicken or an ostrich okay so i'm gonna have all my birds that don't fly together well, penguin and ostrich are not really going to be by the fly, but they have very different needs if you're going to try. I'm not necessarily suggesting teaching them to read, but if you were, <laughs> very differently. And even with you in your group of penguins, you know, how many people learn penguins? They live in cold places, mm. not South African penguins. Oh, yeah, don't forget those. So, you know, those labels give us broad directions. All our birds have feathers, but they don't necessarily tell us about the needs of the individual yeah. child or birds. Take my, I would stop talking about birds. <laughs> We've got images of looking after penguins and chickens and all of this now in my head. <laughs> but you, the, we, we can see there that it's different needs. And yeah. But so often in schools, we say they are year four. Therefore, they will all do what year four or year nine do and they will it's a one size fits all but we've got people mm-hmm. and we wouldn't we wouldn't expect all adults to be the same so why do we expect all children to be yeah same? and also there's so often a culture where we make expectations of what good learning looks like based on a new on a neurotypical yes, diet completely i agree and that effectively hinders inhibits and put and often actually excludes yeah um okay. other children so we need to be flexible and that so you it's thinking about how we set up our rooms the language we use so not saying it's a one size fits all you will all make eye contact with oh, gosh. <laughs> actually a lot of us work will learn better if we don't make eye contact yeah it can be physically painful for some and, and a child who is then spending all their time 
thinking, I need to make eye contact. Yeah. I need to make, they're not going to listen. I mean, I, it, it always makes me, amuses me when I speak at conferences and things. You know, good listening and good sitting. I mean, don't fiddle. Watch the adults in conferences. They've got their pencils, they're chewing. It's the one who sits out there should be playing with their phone. I um, kind of prefer they didn't do that. <laughs> um, and all these things, you know, they're fiddling with their hair, they're fiddling with their sleeves, they're checking what's in their pocket. And we, we allow adults to do that. Yeah. But we make a rule children can't. It's almost like we've got higher expectations of children than we have of ourselves, isn't it, Sarah? It, and that's because it makes it easier to teach. Yeah. Because that's about the needs of the teacher, not the needs of the children. That's a very, very good point. It is. It's the needs of the teacher and the management of the classroom, isn't it? Rather than thinking of the individual children and what's best for them. And there'll be a lot of children who are masking as a result as well, aren't they? Like autistic children, children with ADHD, etc., who may be masking and learning to mask, which can be then damaging for them later on or at the time. So, gosh, yeah, hugely important to think about the children. So I think you want you... You know, that's what I think. I think you were saying about you know, how SLT is looking at that, mm. and it's not saying every single child needs their own set of rules. Yeah. You do need that consistency. You do need those boundaries, but they need to be imbued with flexibility and underlying. Underlying is that a word? Under underline with them needs to be a sense of empathy and yeah. a willingness. To, and I think one of the other things really important for SLT is to remember: children do not come in our schools are a blank sheet yes and our children will be highly influenced by what has happened on the way to school what is going on in the outside lives and you know when a child is told off because they haven't got a pencil and actually there is no money at home Mm. they've got dressed in the dark and the cold because the electric's off they haven't had breakfast yeah their shoes don't fit um, they're worried about, about domestic abuse. They're worried about uh, whatever. And then you say to them, you haven't got a pencil. Yeah. Back they fly off the handle, frankly, or go into, you know, withdraw. You know, is that the big deal? Absolutely. Our school, you know, give them a pencil. Yeah. Don't make a fuss about it. Don't make a song and dance. Give them something to write with. Yeah. No, I think that's... And don't penalise. Yeah, I was talking um, a podcast episode that recently, well, have recently come out when I've when we've got this one out, um, was with the Thrive approach and talking about like trauma-sensitive approaches. And it was, again, that's what we were talking about, the idea that you've got to remember that kids might have come, like you say, to school and they're hungry and, you know, they, they might not be behaving because, especially now, unfortunately, and I can't believe we're saying mm. it now, but there are lots of children coming to school now who haven't had breakfast or haven't got a warm house. And you've got yeah. to you've got to come from a place of understanding that these children can't be expected to learn how you want them to when when they haven't got their basic needs met. And, and you know, we need to go back to you know, Mazzaline's hierarchy. Mm. We need to, we can't get those basic needs if you don't get those basic needs met we can't move up that no and for our, it's absolutely key that and all you know the main you know the all these the worries and thing i you know it becomes i don't say all behavior is communication but the vast majority mm. of it is yeah 
and we need to listen and we need to ask the right questions. And yeah. and I always take them back to a story a colleague told me about a little boy who had climbed up on the roof of the school and they got him down and everybody's screaming and shouting, you know, how do you, you know, somebody stopped and calmed him down and said, why did you go on the roof? He said, I was, and he opened, pulled out of his pocket loads of spoons. Oh. And everybody went, where did they come? They were on the roof. And slowly the child managed to explain. The person he really related to in the school was the school was in the kitchen because she mm. gave him food and he liked food. And she and he had gone the previous day and he'd got his pudding and there hadn't been a spoon and he'd asked for a spoon. And she said, well, I haven't got, we're running out of spoons. But people take them outside and throw them up on the roof. Oh, bless him. So he'd gone, gone up on the roof to get the spoons back down for her. Oh. So yes, oh. he'd done something he shouldn't. Yes, he'd done something that was dangerous. But in his world, he mm -hmm. was doing a good thing. He'd done it from a you know a place of love almost, hadn't he? A place of willing yeah. to be kind uh, to somebody, yeah. And it's about asking the right questions. Yeah, finding out the reasons behind it. Absolutely. And we know that teaching assistants are very good often at doing this. They're very good at supporting children and teachers as well. Um, and your next book, which has just come out, is called Working Effectively with Your Teaching Assistant or TA. Can you tell us about this book? I know you haven't got a copy to show us right now, but <laughs> I will put the links in. It's aimed at primary, so um, at least two of the people who did the pre-reading secondary and gone this works uh, you yeah. know please just because you're secondary don't get put off buying it um sales pitch um <laughs> gotta be done <laughs> but what it is it almost it's going to be what it says on the tin yeah how to work effectively when daniel and i were the inclusive classroom we only had so many words the blooms we would take on board in a book Mm -hmm. And I felt there was an elephant in the room that was never mentioned, which was TAs. Because so often inclusion and differentiation is seen as related to adults. Mm -hmm. And for so ma many parents, teachers, school leaders, an EHCP is seen as synonymous with adults. And the default model for mm. children with EHCPs is about adult support. And we've got a huge, huge amount of really excellent, really academic, really good work from the MITRE project and increasingly from education endowment about working with TAs. Mm -hmm. But the vast, vast majority of that is focused at school leaders. Yeah. There are a lot of books on how to be a good TA. And there's an absolute gap because the main people working for the TAs are just are teachers and there's nothing for teachers. Mm -hmm. You know, and particularly I feel for early career teachers, you have this person who's in your classroom, if you're lucky, <laughs> you're supposed to be directing and organising, there's no guidance. But yeah. a five, four or five sentences in the entire of the DFE guidance 
most of which say basically work with them nothing about how yeah gosh I remember it you're giving me memories there of being a yeah a new teacher and having a teaching and not quite often they're they're older than you as well because you're a new teacher and there's that sort of awkward dynamic that you don't want to boss somebody or feel that you can like ask somebody to do something when it feels like they are more experienced than you and they have more knowledge of the children and more understanding of everything than you and they actually and it feels the wrong way around I remember finding it incredibly awkward and difficult and not having any guidance of how best to do it well that's what I'm aiming to do yeah so I should have had your book (laughs) that's what the book is aiming to do so it's you really it's about you know going through you know so we start with you know, the ch- some of the challenges of working together and not actually the fault of the TA or the teacher, often school leaders, just because you know, of the way the roles evolve. We, I look at working with, you know, th- throughout the lesson about, you know, the key things you can do for the different, you know, in differentiation, making your classroom inclusive, talk about behaviour, talk about working with parents, and fundamentally talk about how to share planning. Yes. And can and make structures and quick ways of sharing planning effectively. Because so often, you know, we've got this person and none of us work on our, our best when we're winging it. No. PAs are asked across the country to wing it day after day after day. They become experts. Actually, so often they're getting the, the teaching, the learning at the same time as the children. Mm. And then they're being asked to personalise it, differentiate it for a child, and they're only picking it up often at the same point. It just, they don't know what they're doing before they get in the room. And how do we make the sharing and planning effective, manageable? Yeah, I used to find this really difficult at Senko, trying to talk to, to other teachers about how to organize the planning with their teaching assistant because you've got difficulties in the sense that the teaching assistants as well you don't want to ask them to stay behind you don't have any time as a teacher you don't want to ask them to stay behind because you know that they're they're not being paid very well and their time is very precious so you, you feel awkward in asking them to stay behind but you need that time with them to then help so they know what they're doing and to get the most out of them and it's a really difficult one to tread isn't it yeah and so I one of the things I do is I get it down to three questions. Mm-hmm. You know, what's the key learning? What's the key vocabulary the children need to access the learning? And what is the outcome you want? Yeah, Those three questions, and it should fit on a post-it. Brilliant. Yeah, because that's the other danger I remember doing it myself is, is then going over the top and sending too much to the teaching assistant, and they haven't got time to actually go through it, being like, this is my lesson plan, these are all the resources, this is what we're doing, and then it's been like, well, that's great, Georgina, but we don't have time to look at that, and that's fair enough. And, <laughs> and also thinking about you know, feedback, I mean, you know, the issue of time, and one of the things I really recommend is setting up a classroom contract to actually talk through your day. Yeah. What is it you want? Who's going to do what? And, yeah. you know, but you know, it's really it's about setting up some guidance and some structure for teachers to work with TAs. And I just say I get I, I'm also in the bizarre position of having written a book using a job title I don't really like. <laughs> so like the teaching assistant as the title. No, I I, I agree with you on this one. <laughs> I really don't like teaching assistants as a job title. I'm sort of lumbered using it because it's in all the guidance and it's the most but actually, I found, I think it's 
something like 18 different titles for the people who work in classrooms. Wow. And I will say my preferred title is learning support assistant. Yes. What their role is, is supporting learning. Yeah, they're not our assistants as teachers. which is They are not a PA for the teacher. No, absolutely not. And it's also you know, that balance of teaching and the non-teaching roles. And you know, these, most of these people have acting roles, so they're also doing a playground duty. They're also in charge of aid. And it's, you know, what it, it's about make, trying to give people some ideas of how to make it workable in the classroom. Yeah. And so we've spoken to sort of like how you how we can work effectively with a teaching assistant. What the relationship is so important. I always found that. And yeah, I have so many lovely. I've worked with so many lovely TAs. I absolutely adored um, and really, really enjoyed work. And they were my friends. I really enjoyed yeah. working with them. And I think that's that really helps, doesn't it? But how what are the important things in making this this teacher teaching assistant relationship work effectively and be beneficial for learning? I think the, you know, I feel, I keep feeling about the entire book, if I could summarize it, listen and communicate. Mm. And I think it's about, you know, listening to your TA and communicating, sharing things. And you know, one of the problems we've got is that there is all, because there is not enough time to communicate, schools, and there is no money to give TAs more hours to communicate, that we end up falling back and depending on a good relationship, a friendship between the teacher and the TA, yeah. compensate from the lack of time to communicate. It means both will be willing to go over and above. And that's appropriate. And I think mm. you know, that relationship does not always work. And we need to be clear, if it's a friendship, that's a real bonus. But actually, what's important is it's an effective working relationship and it's really important a because it needs to be an effective working relationship but also that models for children what that looks like that's yeah. the, you're teaching children through how you behave to each I hadn't ever thought of that and that's really interesting but yeah you it's not yeah they are learning how to interact with somebody else and how to work effectively with somebody else whilst watching you that's brilliant and so, you know, it is about making sure that we make that, we, we have to build great that time. So yeah. I think that's answered your question I've got slightly. It has. No, no, it has completely. Um, let's just talk before we finish then about your, what you do at the moment. So you set up Sea Inclusion and Safeguarding. Can you tell us more about this and how people can find out more about it? Yeah. So I'm, I'm a one woman band. I, so I'm a small company. I work. You know, I you know I have to pay the pay the mortgage, so I will go with people. <laughs> and so I work across the country. I'm based in the south east, and what I do is I support schools. I go in, I do training, I lead on intake days, I provide training for all sorts of both special needs and safeguarding. I also do quite a lot of work with schools supporting senkos when schools are under senkoed. Yeah. Um, you know, they just don't have the Senko time. They've got new to roll um, Senko. Or often I've done a lot of work with Senko's returning from illness. I've done a lot, you know, and just supporting them in that that role. But, you know, and I go in and look at people's provision. I do reviews of, you know, what their SEM provision looks like. Yeah. What the, and safeguarding reviews. Yeah. Um, so go... So, Please, you know, people come and 
you know, contact me and, you know, I will see what, you know, you know how we can work together. Because what I love going into other schools. I love being able to see what schools are doing and, you know, seeing the, some amazing practice and being able to support people to make that even better. Brilliant. So it's, it's so it's not just training that you do, but you also do reviews. So you help help mm. schools look themselves reflectively at their practice and how they can improve. I think that's really good. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and that is you know, is so it just because so often there is such good practice going on. Mm. Just need to know that they're doing the right thing. Yeah, and I suppose add some little tweaks and and just guide you, them a little bit onto the path that makes more sense or whatever. Yeah, and sometimes the other thing which I think you know, is that schools. So often our practice in school is based on what we've always done. Yeah. And so sometimes when you, you know that's not actually working mm-hmm. or not working as well as it could do or not working as well as it could do for all your children, you need somebody like me to come in and go, have you just thought of moving that three foot to the left? <laughs> True, and it's sh- fresh eyes. It's fresh, like, yeah, it's, and- it's easier to view something when you're not in it, isn't it? And you just need somebody to go and say, actually, why don't you do that? Yeah. Oh, that's, and or, it's e- sometimes it's easier to take advice from somebody who's not involved as well. Somebody, yes. Yeah, I think I think that's really, really important. So how can people find you, your books and your company? Well, books are um, available through the Bloomsbury website. And then there will be a discount code in February. Yeah. Watch out, looking at... Um, obviously all good bookshops on and on amazon there are other places to buy books i would necessarily recommend them but if you buy a book please come put a review on amazon absolutely it makes a huge difference to reviews um i can be contacted through my website which is www.csea inclusion at uk. twitter assuming twitter is still existing See inclusion. I'm just beginning to put dip my toes into um, Mastodon, and I'm at see inclusion at mastodon.social and at LinkedIn as Sarah Alston and Facebook as see inclusion and safeguarding. Fabulous. And I will put the link to your website in the show notes below so people will be able to find that both on YouTube and on um, the podcast. Um, so then they'll be able to have a click on there and, and contact you if they need to, um, yeah, regarding some extra support. Thank you ever so much. You've been a brilliant guest. Really oh. loved chatting to you. Well, thank you. It's been really nice talking to you. And, you you know, I'm, I'm afraid I could talk for hours about these things. I feel like I could too. I think we could talk for a long time together yeah. on this. <laughs> What a great guest. I really enjoyed chatting to Sarah. Do make sure you have a look at her books and her website. And I've popped some resources that are linked to this episode topic in the show notes below. So do have a look at those as well. And thanks again for listening to Send In The Experts with me, Georgina Durrant. Hope to catch you again next time.